Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logar the Barbarian, and I have a special guest today, Michael Lowe from luckoflegends.com. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's good to have you. Now, now you were just telling me something a minute ago before we hit record. I'm going to ask you to say it all over again. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to say it. Yeah, I was just sort of giving the laundry list of uh, of stuff that I'm associated with. So yes, my name is Michael Lowe, uh, he, him pronouns, and my site is luckoflegends.com. And what I do there is I design games, nonviolent narrative storytelling games, and I use them digitally online to teach kids writing, speaking, presentation, and, uh, and really encourage a love and joy of learning. And it comes with academic feedback. So that's my main, my main focus. I also developed storiesrpg.com with Daniel Hines, who is the, the brilliant mastermind behind Stories Podcast, which is one of the largest and longest running children's podcasts on the web. And there we release monthly play at home chapters of a longer story arc. And these are coloring books, choose your own adventure, print and play games designed for beginners. Um, so it teaches you the rules as you play. And every month when we release a new chapter, there's a parallel story arc that his podcast uh, cast is playing through in actual plays. So every new chapter releases and a podcast comes out right alongside it. So you can hear the, the characters there in the Max Goodname series playing alongside. And there's gonna be some fun like plot intersections coming up that we have planned. So as I understood, is it the game itself is the is the Star Sworn, correct? That's where it's being released. Well, yeah, so storiesrpg.com is where mm -hmm. to find it. And you can find the, the little two-page core SRD rules if you're a, a hardcore crunchy nerd like us. <laughs> and then you can play it with your kids if you're ready to go and you know you probably are, uh, you know, you don't need everything else. The Star Sworn is the adventure. Okay. And it's, the real joy of Star Sworn is it's a wonderful narrative and it really encourages not only parents and kids to learn to tell stories together, but kids to take over the reins. The approach is very simple. And it's, it, it's learn as you go. Everything comes with read alouds and wonderful art by Rob Hebert of Nerdy Paper Games. He's amazing. And his artwork, I don't know, my son and I have been, and my wife actually, she started stealing pages when we were doing the drafts and like coloring them in. So we would all have these giant coloring parties. So they're really wonderful and, and highly engaging. And I find myself coming back to them, which is weird because I wrote them. So there's a non a nonviolent element to this game, and and that I would like to talk about and hear about because that's not something you get a lot in role playing games. I know that we were we reviewed at least one game here that kind of had something like that going on, mm. uh, where there wasn't really a, any kind of combat mechanic, and it was focused on other forms of story mm -hmm. telling and and res and other forms of resolution besides just killing each other and fighting and i'm not a huge fan of fighting always being the answer but i have i have an interest in what you're doing with the non-violent uh, element to it because that's something that's interested me in the past as well and i'd like to talk about that so could you kind of expand on how that works in the game and sure well you know like uh classic you know osr uh roots dnd &D, it got its birth from wargaming right miniatures wargaming yes and so that has, you know, that has shaped the system and shaped the mechanics and shaped the way a lot of us learn to play. Um, so it's very sort of core to what we think of when we think of tabletop role-playing games. But there are so many indie developers out there doing amazing work in 
creating very narrative focused storylines. Personally, as a parent, uh, I started designing my game. I'm also an educator, certified teacher in California. ELA is what <laughs> I do. Um, so when I started developing it, I really thought hard about what kind of experience and what kind of lessons I wanted my mechanics to teach. Because mechanics don't make the game, but they do shape the kind of experience you have at the table and the choices that you make. If you've got a character who has a bunch of combat abilities, you're gonna think you're a hammer and you're gonna look for nails. Even if there are no nails around, you're gonna look to, to, to hit something, yeah. which is perfectly reasonable because the system tells you to. So one of the reasons I developed this game is I had to go online. I had a, a, a long running session with a bunch of eight, eight to 10 year olds in my neighborhood, my son's buddies, and all their friends would come over and we'd play. And it was highly nonviolent. We were using a system I'd developed. And when the pandemic hit, we had to migrate to the online space. And the system I was using, which was nonviolent, didn't work digitally. And I thought, man, I need some sort of system that will work here. And so I said, all right, I'll go to classic, you know, stuff that has free resources. And when I did that, I found myself very troubled. Um, when you play through a D&D adventure or any kind of um, material that's provided online, combat is not just built into the system, it's the focus of the adventure. Everything is centered around, they call them encounters, which is an interesting, <laughs> interesting term to use. It's a very uh, vague and questionable one. And I found myself as a storyteller in a sort of dilemma, because if I put the kids into a map and said, all right, there are these creatures who are, you're going to be told, are evil, which means it's okay for you to go after them and kill them. That's not a lesson I want to teach my son. You can judge somebody and know their, understand their motives and solve the problem that they've created or that's ongoing by hurting them. That's completely contrary to everything that I believe as a person, not just a parent and an educator. Now, on the other hand, everybody likes a little transformative cathartic violence, right? <laughs> well, if I play it through that way, I'm doing a disservice. If I play it through and then make the choice of violence questionable, I'm setting them up to fail and sort of torturing them with, you did exactly what you were set up to do, and it was unethical. So I really went back to the drawing board, and I looked at a lot of great games um, that are out there. Wander Home by uh, Jay Dragon is amazing. Um, Wander Home? Yeah. Also, Briar and Bramble's out now. There's a whole bunch of great stuff. Tales from Exandria is the My Little Pony game. It's super dope. Highly recommend all of them. Uh, there's also a whole lot of really great material on the TTRPG Kids site, which is ttrpgkids.com. That's run by Steph Campbell. And she is a wonderful person who's bringing together parents and kids in a community. And she's got a huge sorted list of games that are appropriate for kids and the different age levels that are proper for them. So when I started developing my system, I said, all right, what do I want it to do? And I said, I want who you are to define what you can do. So in my game, what you do is you build your character by answering questions about who you are. So what are you really good at? Who do you love? Who drives you crazy? What's your worst habit? Why do you stand out? And from these, you get little sentences. And this is also a lot of good training for kids in terms of narrative. You understand your character first as a person who has connections to other people, bonds, likes and dislikes. What's your favorite snack? Now you might ask, okay, so how does that lead to resolution in a game? Um, the answer is I liberally stole, which is the parent. I, I always say this is the, the teacher's creed. I've taught a bunch of master's students and I always tell them the first rule is the pirate's rule. 
beg, borrow, and steal. If it works for kids, use it. Um, so I stole the mechanic from uh, Blades in the Dark, which is a brilliant game. It's a very simple mechanic. You build a dice pool, right, of D6s. One to three, you roll them. If the high roll is one to three, you failed and there's a problem. If it's four to five, you succeeded, but there's trouble. And if it's a six, you succeeded. Now, in my game, whenever kids are faced with a dilemma, I allow them to build their dice pool. I'm like, all right, so let's say, here's an example, Monster High School, you're in uh, Monster, you're in your uh, alchemy class and they've asked you to create a laden mannequin, which is this strange little lump of clay in a bath of vitreous fluid that's going to, you're gonna bring it to life using magic. So you and your buddies are all sitting there going, okay, we're trying to read the, the tome and the teachers being of course terrifying and also not very helpful. And you're trying to figure out what to do. And I'll say to a kid, kid's like, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shape the guy. I'm gonna make the little clay dude and I'm gonna get him into the thing. I'm like, all right, well, what can you use? What can your character, what, what would make your character good at this? And the kid will look and go, well, um, it says that I hate to lose is my, is my downfall. That's the thing that drives me crazy. I'm like, sweet, that's one die. You don't want to lose at this. Awesome. So your weakness becomes a strength. All right. What else you got? Um, it says here, I got, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at climbing. So I think I got strong fingers. Okay, cool. That works for me. That's two <laughs> dice. Roll your two dice. Let's see what the high die is. And then let's talk about what the result's going to mean. So that's the basic core mechanic. I like that. That that's that's great. I do. I'm a big fan of trying to think outside of combat and game, and I try to encourage that. We actually we ran, what I would say. I don't. I, I want. I don't want to say it's a non-violent D and D campaign, but it's been probably about ten years ago. We ran a game. the The goal of this whole campaign was to. It was actually a D and D second edition that was used mm. at the time. But the whole goal was let's well, you, you better can't. you better you better be nonviolent in AD and D because you're gonna die. You try to pick a fight. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I emphasize about like we run deadly games because fighting shouldn't always be the answer in real reality. In most movies, like killing something isn't the way out of it. You have to deal with it and contend with it. You have to face it. Well, you know, I use a lot of safety tools in my games. I actually just had an interview on uh, talk radio in London oh, <laughs> weirdly, over the weekend. Yeah, I know. It was really exciting with a bunch of really cool educators. Um, there's a couple threads up on Twitter about it. I'm at Luck Legends. And one of the things that uh, came up was somebody asked, like, what do you do, you know, when you get violence at the table? And the answer, of course, was safety tools. So um, one of the conversations I'll have with kids, you know, they'll be like, well, I'm going to hit him or like, I'm going to stab him. Like, all right, well, here's the thing, ready? First, let's talk about what is likely to happen. How many of you all have had, like, had a fight? You know, and a bunch of kids will look like, whoa, you know? And I'll say, okay, well, what happened? If you, if you got violent when you were upset, how did that turn out? When you, when you hit somebody, did it go well or did it go badly? And there's a whole bunch of pained expressions, um, you know? And I'll say, okay, so we're asking, I'm asking you, because it's your story what kind of story you wanna tell. So if you're okay with, with taking this action and everyone at the table agrees that this is how you want the game to be told, I'll let you explore this. But I want that to be a choice you all make together and I wanna make sure that everybody's comfortable with it. And the cool thing about being online is people can DM you. And I always, we, we, start, we start out with that as an expectation at the table. I'm like, listen, I want you to tell me whatever it is you're thinking or feeling because this is your game and I will help make it happen. So kids can be very honest. And it's been great to have a real community built 
kids get really good. They're so much better than adults at figuring out how to collaborate. Like we'll argue about the most trivial things. Kids, the minute they know consensus is necessary to get the game going, they're real quick to identify whether it's a hill they want to die on or whether it's something they don't care about. And they're quick to be like, yeah, no, cool. If she's not comfortable with it, let's go. And we change the story. And it's not a huge hiccup. But those safety tools are such a, they play such a role in navigating the space between people's expectations, right? Yeah, I, I'd be curious to know a little bit more about, about perhaps what some of those safety tools are. Do you have those posted online anywhere or anything like that? Or I actually, is that a uh, repertoire or toolbox that you keep to your side? Oh, no, not at all. I'm sorry. And I apologize. Yeah, um, actually, Dr. Emily Friedman, who is a wonderful, um, hold on, I'll, I just typed that earlier. Uh, she's a wonderful teacher in Alabama who is teaching college classes about the evolution of role-playing games. Oh, and really? Using them as a subject for critique, for analysis, exploring all the different aspects of their cultural development, mechanical development. And she has folks from Critical Role on there as guest lecturers. Abria and B. Dave Walters, I know, uh, show up in her class on the regular. She, um, she cited um, a great repository of safety tools. There's a whole bunch of different ones that you can use. I liberally employ both the X card and a modified digital form of how to communicate at the table using cards. Oftentimes folks will at the table use um, like index cards and you just write something and you, you have a, a sort of general barrel. So you don't know who's got what and you always precede it with a few. So you know, there's <laughs> a few people in there. And then that allows folks to say, hey, look, this part I'm not cool with or that part I'm not cool with. And especially with kids, kids are much, uh, they're still learning to advocate for themselves. And that's one of the things I'm trying to teach in my classes. It's like how to discuss, how to collaborate, and also how to advocate, right? I'm not comfortable with this. I need something slightly different. And using those tools becomes hugely beneficial. So I'm going to hit uh, Dr. Friedman up for that repository. Personally, the X card is uh, something we use liberally. And then again, the direct message strategy. But there are a lot of them out there. And there are wonderful people in the space working on this stuff. I'm thinking of Game to Grow. Uh, they weren't in our tabletop uh, discussion on London radio this past Saturday, but I believe they're going to be in an upcoming episode of the same show. It's called Teachers Talk. Um, they run um, a nonprofit which does therapy work with children using games, and they know everything about safety tools. And they actually have worked with World of Corday, which is, uh, they're one of the folks I did talk with, and they've been trained in uh, therapeutic gaming by Game to Grow. So they offer programs and certifications for folks to learn how to use gaming for therapeutic reasons. And safety tools are a huge part of that. It's just another strategy for how to negotiate a community. And that's what I love about RPGs is it's a great way to build one. Well, I like what you put there, negotiating the community. I feel that, um, so I'm, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna talk about myself for a moment. Please, please just do to get it. off track. No, I no. was I was very interested uh, when I discovered I think we talked about briefly. I discovered someone by the name of Marshall Rosenberg, mm. and he did the nonviolent this book called about nonviolent communication. He talked about things like the language of authority and stuff like that that we yep. use. And he used this nonviolent communication to literally resolve conflicts between warring nations. Yeah, uh, he's an impressive fellow when he was alive. I was a big fan of the book and I learned a lot from him. Uh, but yeah. when I got out, I was in the Marine Corps for five years and it was mm -hmm. at a, a 
particularly spicy time, we'll say. <laughs> and uh, and when I got out, I had a uh, I had a very uh, a big aversion to violence in general and a response that was was different. Um, uh, it took me a while to kind of figure and maneuver some of that out, but kind of exploring some of the nonviolent communication was part of that. And at that time, I was involved with some uh, with a Catholic worker house. I'm not sure if you're familiar with those or not. They're sort of it was started by Dorothy Day uh, and Peter mm. Morin. They were sort of uh, religious anarchists in the early 1900s. They started communes throughout the country, and some are a little bit different than others. Some are more religious. Some are more secular than others. Mm. But I got involved in the one I got involved in. We had a lot of resources for the community. Um, but there was there would be mostly for people who had needed things like showers, um, mm -hmm. food, those types of resources, bus passes, laundry yeah. done. And, uh, you know, it was a community center for anybody who would need that. It was not all a lot of people assume something like a homeless shelter, which it wasn't, but more of a community resource where we yeah. engaged in uh, mutual aid. And right on. one of the things that we did there was we used a lot of the nonviolent communication tools because there was definitely going to be conflict at times. Sure. And sometimes, like I like I think of the term I used earlier was spicy. Sometimes there'd be spicier conflict than normal. And it's possible to maneuver those things without yes. clobbering someone in the face or taking yes. your M16 to them. <laughs> I mean, or it is possible to resolve conflict. It's not always going to turn out the way that you want things. <laughs> and I'll even, yeah, no, but I'll even, I'll even, uh, you know, let me bring it back to a, um, you know, the kind of situation everyone's been in as a teacher. You know, it's interesting to me. I, I like I said, I've taught a bunch of master's students, um, which I think is such a privilege. It's amazing when you have somebody new in the room, sort of asking you questions and helping you figure out what you're doing. Cause half the time you're not aware of all the different moves you're making. So it's a very huge learning gift to have a new learner in the room trying to learn the thing that you're trying to do. And one conversation we'd always have, and I've said this to a lot of folks, they'll say, well, what's your behavior management uh, plan? And I say, I don't manage behavior because I'm not training dogs. Um, I build relationships. And I think there's a fundamental way in which it may not be an M16 or a punch, <laughs> but if you're an authority in a room, you know, you're a teacher. And I say this to, to new teachers all the time. I say, listen, you are going to have your days when you feel a little overwhelmed and you're going to feel like you're, you're, being, you're under threat in the classroom. And the thing you've got to remember is you are the most powerful person in that room and your words carry immense weight. And one of the first and most important things you need to do as a teacher is establish that you are not there to use that for any purpose except to help kids. So I always tell my kids, this is your room. You run it. I help you do what you want to do. I will teach you what you ask me to teach you. If you come up with an idea for a unit, I will help you make it happen. Every single one of you has control and power in this room and agency. And as a result, I'm going to keep giving it to you and helping you navigate what you want to do with it. Now, that doesn't mean I won't call you out if I think you're using it in a way that's destructive or unhelpful. And I will always try to help everyone negotiate those conflicts. But my job is not to hammer anything. It's to help you grow. And I think that mentality, it's, it's new in the classroom for some older teachers, which is a shock. Uh, newer teachers are much more familiar with it. But 
I think it's a cultural shift that we, uh, we need to go through at a very grand scale. I would even say it's a global cultural shift. Yeah. Because a lot of the problems throughout history that humans have evolved to deal with have to do with small group conflict. Um, and the ones that we're having to deal with as a global species have to do with systems and relationships. You can't really punch climate change in the face. And being selfish about it isn't going to help you or yours or anyone else. There'll be a short-term gain, but boy, you're going to pay for it and your descendants will as well. So there's a lot there. You spoke, you, you mentioned something before. Uh, you hmm. talked about consensus. Mm -hmm. I, 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 do you have more that you could elaborate on the concept of consensus when it comes to interacting within groups and group dynamics and stuff like that? I'm curious. <laughs> um, I mean, boy, that's, that's, that's the a thing deep... I know we've, we've talked about in other groups and other things. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting. I can discuss. So in a small tabletop role-playing group, my classes never go above six. And part of the reason I, I do that is every one of my class sessions is two hours long. And we spend usually the first half an hour to hour reading everyone's stories that they wrote aloud, celebrating them, editing them, and then discussing how those different plot elements and ideas that all the kids brought to the table can be incorporated into a whole. We often talk about the pizza. If you, know, if you add too much to the pizza, it stops being tasty. So we'll ask the question, does this belong on our pizza? Do we, you know, and we'll, we'll chat about how we get it onto the pizza and make it right. But that's easy. Smaller groups like that, you can do a lot with. Um, I think for larger groups, so I'll give you an example. In my classroom, uh, kids voted on every unit. And I don't just mean you know, some units, I mean every unit. And as a result, things would get very political. Uh, kids would, kids would be going it. over to other groups of, of voting blocks and be like, look, look, here's the thing. We'll do this for you if we can get this unit. And ultimately what we do is we'd work until we had everyone, even if even the people who were really hardcore for a different unit, we would say, all right, look, you got choices. It will be more difficult and you will get less attention if we split the class and people do multiple units. But that's cool if you feel so strongly about it that you want to split the class, we'll do it and we'll figure out how to make it work. Or if you, if you are more comfortable with it and you're like, you know what, I'm not, I don't want the extra struggle and this unit isn't so bad, then vote. And we always have, you can vote for multiple units. So I'd lay out an, a table of maybe a menu, I always called it a menu, of six to seven different units and say, all of these deal with skills y'all need to learn. And if you want to add one, you tell me what it is. And then I would say, always vote for more than one because that way you know at least one of the ones you like is probably gonna get picked. And so there are a lot of different ways um, to negotiate and have that conversation. But to me, one of the most important things was staying with it and, and proving to the kids that I wasn't ever going to arbitrarily make the decision for them and take their agency away. And the brilliant part about it was they would get really good at it. You know, It only takes a couple of struggles figuring out how to choose what you want before you get to the point of, yeah, no, we want to get into the unit. And by this point, we know all these units are dope. So I'm really hardcore for this one. But if everybody else wants to go that way, let's ride. So it's, it's more about developing that culture. It's a long process. It's interesting to me that so many uh, recent approaches to the classroom are sort of structured by, sadly, uh, standardized assessments. And so they do this, how will you prove the kids have changed and developed? And I'm like, wow, it sounds like fundamentally you don't understand much about how people learn because it's in fits and starts and over time that real learning takes root. And there's a lot of practice and you can't predict when 
that aha moment's going to come and the kid's going to unlock all these things that they've struggled with and suddenly be able to really put it together. I like a lot of what you're saying. I think, and I do think that there's a huge need for us to change the way we are socializing younger people, especially when violence is so prevalent in our society and how we solve things. It's literally part of the entire institution that is the United States is founded on violence. I mean, it's very dominant. You know, I was a part of that. I can say it's 100% Marine Corps kill, kill, kill is the center of that. But that that needs to change in society. (laughs) We're going to live. We got to stop killing each other. Does I want great service to hear that. I love hearing you say that because I can't tell you how many kids. I just spoke with a kid who I um, I convinced I was part of. I won't. I don't. I won't take the. I don't. I can't. I can't claim this, but they were considering going into the military, and I spent a long time explaining why I thought that involving themselves in the military was probably personally dangerous for them. Yeah. Um, in terms of risk, uh, as a person of color and identifies as female, and we talked about all the different, you know, very scary stuff that's attached to being in the military because violence doesn't do good things for the people for, who perform it or the targets. Um, and and then also, you know, sort of the the larger ethical questions. And they're they're going into school to become a teacher. They're they're, they're transferring <laughs> colleges. And I was so like, there's one for that's a win for the that's team. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I, I, and. I just recently, actually, this last week, spoke to a young a young man who was uh, looking at going, and I I've realized as a as a when I got out of the Marine Corps, I got heavily involved in the Iraq Veterans Against the War, and um, I was involved with a lot of that stuff going on under Bush. So it was I was all over the place. I was people were upset about the things I would say. So I've kind of realized socially appropriate times when to say certain things about my feelings and stance in the military and, and often around certain people, I just kind of try to not really bring it up <laughs> at that time. It might be some court of someone might be upset, but he straight up asked me, you know, what I thought I said, you know, it's, it's not very fun. And when he asked me if he should join, I said, really, I don't, I think there's better things that you can do with your life. You're going to have a better chance of living if you don't, <laughs> and you're not going to have to, you know, go through all that, that a lot of other people went through. And I, I know some, some folks do have huge, you know, uh, life-changing experiences and that becomes very core to their identity. And I respect that. I just, you know, when I'm speaking with a high school student who's asking yeah. me for counseling on, on life path. When I, I don't suggest the, it. Yeah. When I, I look don't. at the data about rates of suicide, rates of depression, rates of, of substance abuse, rates of mental illness, rates of injury, rates of death. If I'm only thinking about the health and well-being and future happiness of my students. Only that, not not the ethical questions about militarized violence and colonialism and all the other things attached to the system. When I only think about that, it's really hard for me to say anything except I think there are probably better ways that you could live well and learn things and grow as a human. Oh yeah, there's there's a lot better things you can do than to put yourself in that type of situation <laughs> as a as a you know, as a Marine Corps veteran, I say, don't, if you like, don't join. It's not worth it in the long run. I've known too many people to fight to, well, to never be able to come out the other side to say they found out it wasn't the best idea to make. And I, and it's not like these people died for some, in some blaze of glory. I mean, a lot of times it was something stupid, like just interpersonal violence on a military base. 
because you've got a lot of young men you've been training to kill and really pushing that aggression. It's, it's a thing. It's something that I had to deal with. I had to confront the fact that, you know, I had all this aggression built up in me as a person. I just wasn't a safe person when I came out. Like I wasn't like I had to confront that and get control of myself psychologically, mentally, and everything else. Like I had to take big steps to overcome what I had become being in the military. Well, that's, first of all, let me just say congratulations and wow. Um, Cause that's, you know, that's the kind of life hurdle that um, it's really hard for a lot of people to make it over. So that's why I like what you're doing. I really appreciate when I found out you were doing some oh, of the novel. You. I thought, this is great what he's doing here. I well, like I think- it. It's interesting. I think that this is something that I wish I had access to something like this when my kids were younger. My son's very, my son's leading into the very, was not as much now. He's kind of mm-hmm. learning, but for a while there, he was leaning into like really tough, cool, badass team. Yep. He's, he, I think we're kind of working through some of that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of messages and there's a lot of media where the most media saturated culture in history, right? So oh, yes. there's a lot of messages getting sent about who you're supposed to be. And when you see kids, when they come into your room, um, that blog that you've been referring to where I discuss nonviolent design. Yes. Uh, I started with a line from one of my students. So um, this is a, this is a crew of younger kids. This is seven to 13. And, um, you know, I was discussing the fact that we use a lot of graphics in my games because we're building games on Google slides. So it, it's great to be able to create a graphically satisfying slideshow creates a lot of inspiration for the kids. And I, I was discussing, boy, you know, it's really hard. We were playing a game about xenobiologists in the far reaches of space, exploring new worlds and having to interact with new species. Oh, this I love so that. I, it's really great. fun. That's I mean, I got, fun. I got a bunch of cool games and they're all about, you know, interesting conflict and drama and struggle that arises from interesting things. So I've got a game where you play um, members of the microbiome trying to keep the body healthy, despite the fact that the body makes bad decisions. You know, there's a lot of different interesting uh, game opportunities. But anyway, I was discussing with them, it's so hard to find any kind of science fiction character or fantasy character for that matter, who isn't brandishing a weapon and looking like they're ready to kill somebody. And I said, it's really hard. And this was science fiction. So I said, yes, Boy, it's, it's such a struggle. I've been creating a Pinterest board of pictures of cool looking characters who are non-human, robotic, human, all the different uh, critters. And um who aren't wielding guns. And the kid goes, yeah, because guns are cool. (laughs) And so I had to have that moment where I said, that's interesting that you say that. I don't agree. I don't think guns are cool. But I've worked in a lot of schools and a lot of neighborhoods where gun violence is a real problem. And boy, it doesn't take long for, for anyone who's been exposed to the consequences of really severe violence to start really questioning why We've got kids playing Fortnite and, you know, you know, boy, I've been struggling. You, my kid sees everybody running around with Nerf guns that are based on military weapons. Oh, yeah. I find that terrifying. Whereas, you know, it's very normalized. And for a lot of parents, they're like, oh, yeah, it's just a toy. And I'm like, it's a toy that simulates something that that's only purpose is murder. And that's terrifying to me. So, yeah, I think it's a big cultural question. And, 
you know, if I can create some games that are out there in the space, both for kids and adults, I mentioned uh, on my itch page, I have a couple nonviolent games. Uh, Hold Fast Station is about a blue collar asteroid community. And it's about figuring out how to survive and overcome conflict when you need everyone, even if you don't like each other. Oh, I really like that con that concept a lot. That I appreciate that. I'm definitely a blue collar fellow. Anything that goes on but the blue collar folk, I like that. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's just what's so interesting is we 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 lionize violence and we have this idea that heroes are out by themselves doing something violent in a strange place. And I'm like, man, where are the games about regular folks who are like, yeah, I gotta go to work. And like, oh. we got to get some stuff done today. And <laughs> these are all the people I know and we're doing regular stuff. And oh, oh, stuff just got dramatic. Something bad happened. How do we figure it out and make it work? So I like stories about family, community, discovery, and you know, all the good stuff. Yeah, I like that. Oh, we're brought up on time. We're, uh, I, yeah, I'm getting tongue tied. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we're I get excited. Thank oh, you. you're great. You're great. You'll definitely have to come on again. I really enjoyed our conversation. I Before we go, though, I'd like you to let our listeners know where they can find you, the, any kind of links, any places that they should be looking. Sure. Um, I'm everywhere um, under Luck of Legends. So luckoflegends.com. You can read up on the classes. You can sign up for classes. We have some holiday, few spots left in the holiday classes for kids. If you want your kids to learn to write and love it, and get some academic feedback on how they're developing, sign on up. Uh, there's a code ADVENTURE2021 if you want $25 off. There you go, there's a gift for you. If you are interested in downloading and playing some of the games I've designed for kids, you can go to storiesrpg.com. Chapter one of Starsworn is free to download, print and play, and there's an, a wonderful actual play podcast from Daniel Hines and the crew at Stories Podcast that you can listen to alongside. And um, I'm, I'm on Twitter at Luck Legends. I'm, I think I'm on Instagram at Luck of Legends. So yeah, I'm out there. All right. And as always, you can find us at wobbliesandwizards.com. Search us on Facebook, just Wobblies and Wizards. And keep those dice rolling. 